According to a recent survey conducted by the Pew Research Center, it discovered that 42% of working women in the United States claim that they've experienced some type of gender discrimination in the workplace. Making progress on gender equality has certainly been a marginal effort. Having equal representation in life can also be a struggle. Depending on your background, experience, and upbringing, gender discrimination and relations still remains an issue which deserves our undivided attention. David Smith is an associate professor at John Hopkins University, Cary Business School, a gender work and family researcher. He's an author and a speaker. Through his research and experience leading diverse organizations, he's established his value to organizations looking to improve their gender relations. Dr. Smith is known for facilitating tough conversations surrounding the concept of gender relations and bringing that skill to his consulting, teaching, writing, and speaking. And Dr. Smith joined me this week to have an in-depth discussion on how gender relations have evolved in today's society. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. I'll take a moment to welcome you uh, to the program, and I'm super excited to uh, dive into your work on gender relations this morning. Great to see you, and happy Friday! Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Now, Professor, I know you work with organizations to work on their gender relations, and your uh, diverse research, research for focuses on that very topic, so I'm wondering if you can tell me about all the great work that you do. Yeah, and you know, my my research is really kind of comes out of a lot of my, my work experience, and I spent 30 years on active duty in the military uh, as a Navy pilot, and again, uh, I think work experience is always a nice place to kind of ground your, your research and, and the lived experience that we have, and certainly... I saw lots of that in, in my time in, uh, in the military. Um, and I think that, you know, one of those where we're just really seeing how um, in from a gender perspective and then saw a lot of the gender integration process happen across my career in the, in the U.S. military. And, you know, seeing how it was implemented was really interesting in the terms of 
you know, I think the military tends to, to come at this from a very kind of a process perspective and setting boundaries and giving, you know, very direct um, uh, orders around how to do things. But, you know, one of the things that was never really discussed were about how it was going to affect relationships and the culture within teams and within smaller groups and organizations. And I think that that was one of the things that always kind of um, was front and center in my mind and thinking about how it influenced my research. And, and certainly for myself, I think, um, you know, my wife was also active duty military and um, <clears throat> our experience, you know, and as a dual career couple in this case was very challenging in terms of all the moving we had to do and trying to be co-located. And, and again, uh, the military, like a lot of organizations back in the eighties and nineties, and even into today just weren't, um, they weren't really structured to handle diverse families and dual career families back then were, were kind of diverse, although today they are the norm out there. So a lot of that shaped a lot of the questions and the re how, I, how I've approached the research that I do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into gender relations in today's society. How do you think it's really evolved when we talk about the societal conversation surrounding gender relations? How do you think it's evolved over time? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think in a lot of ways we've we've moved beyond a lot of the, what I would think of more of kind of structural overt discrimination that was legalized in many ways. Uh, in workplaces very broadly about who could do what and how we paid people and how we valued people differently in that way. And so a lot of, a lot of employment processes across the board were, were just not, were not fair. And those, those have, for the most part, those have legally, that's all changed. Um, there are still some countries out there that, that are still following along, but it's certainly in, in North America and Canada and the U.S. and Europe, we find that that's all changed. So we've moved beyond the overt, and now we're dealing with things that are kind of happening underneath uh, all of that. And, and so it's much more insidious, and it's more about attitudes and bias that we, we are focusing on today that still influence these employment processes and still influence decision-making that create some of these, what I would call systemic inequities. So we have an everyday practice. Um, it might be around hiring or recruiting, right, that tends to bias in one direction or another. And it does change the, again, the, the talent pool that we're looking at, the talent pool that we're selecting from, and the people that we're selecting is, is just one example of that. And, and so we're, it's a little more challenging to put your finger on things that you can't actually see other than the outcome itself. But the process, sometimes it's, it's not quite as easy to do that. And so I think that's what's taking, um, you know, most of our time today is, is going through and looking at the everyday practices to begin to understand how they're creating some of these systemic inequities, like our lack of representation in many of our organizations. Yeah, Professor, you bring up a lack of representation, and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was because, you know, March is also National Disability Awareness Month, and as you know, Professor, I was born with uh, cerebral palsy, and I also have a background in inclusive employment, so tell me about the importance of infusing uh, folks with disabilities into the workforce, and the importance, you think, uh, observing months like this are in our general conversation of progress. Yeah, that's and, and thanks for bringing that up. And, and as a reminder, you know what we should be focusing on. And it's really interesting that 
again, people, the way the workplace is structured is for particular groups of people. And certainly able-bodied people is one of those ways that it tends to be structured. And we don't, in people who are able-bodied, unless they are thinking about it and have experienced it or have developed the awareness and the understanding of how this affects people with all sorts of great skills and talents that would be great additions to our organization, how it really precludes them or, and very specifically excludes them in some ways out there. And we're, we're missing out because of that in our, in our organizations today. And so in the same way that it works for, for gender, it's a little bit different, but even there are still structural processes that we have in the organization that exclude, uh, again, people with the skills and the talent that we need in our organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Professor, I'm curious to get your definition of how you define courageous leadership in in organizations Mm -hmm. today. How do you define that term? Yeah, you know, for me, it it really comes down to thinking about how do we approach risk and and thinking about failure. And I think so in so many ways, people... Um, especially today, there's there's a, a fear of failure in, in a lot of organizations. So they so it keeps you from taking risk that we should be taking, uh, and the opportunity to improve our our organizations and and our society more broadly out there. Um, without taking some of those again very calculated risks, um, we're not we're not talking about things that are um, we're, we're just throwing caution to the wind. But we're hey these these are opportunities, and if we don't take a risk and we don't learn to Hey, we're not going to get it exactly right every time, but we're going to learn. And that's how, again, innovation works. We, we fear often. I mean, we, we fail often and, and we overcome that fear uh, in terms of, of how do we move forward in our organ. And that's what, that's what advances science. That's what advances our society. That's what makes it a better place to work. And again, we've got to overcome some of that fear and that, hey, leadership is not about taking the safe route. Leadership is not about staying comfortable it's going to require you to be uncomfortable. If you're not a little bit uncomfortable or maybe a lot uncomfortable today as a leader, then I would say you're not doing your job properly. You're not answering the mail, doing what you're supposed to be doing and answering to all your stakeholders in your organization. Yeah, and Professor, I know that you're uh, also trained in uh, social psychology and you focus your research on uh, gender work and families, including allyship and Mm -hmm. cross-gender mentor relationships. So tell, tell me about that uh, and gender bias as well. So tell me about that part of your research and why that's also important to you. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, as I think with anybody, the arc of your research, is, it's a journey uh, to some extent. And, and as I told you, you know, at the beginning, a lot of that has been influenced by my own experiences. And I think as we see things, um, it, it it raises questions, right? About why is that, or why does it work that way, and how could it how could it be better? How can we better understand that? And and again, I use that to to my advantage in terms of how we approach a lot of the research that we do. And so, you know, I think looking at some of those things as we see opportunities uh, to explore them is, is part of it. And again, a lot of the work that I've done has focused there. You know, one of the places right now, for example, uh, done working around looking at gender bias and performance evaluations. And it was really interesting as we did that research, um, some really interesting findings that came out of it, 
But one of the things also was just a list of other questions, things of op opportunities we saw there. And one of the things that was really important to us was around intersectionality and looking at, again, not just from a gender lens, but how do we disaggregate that data a little bit further and look at it from other perspectives as well and how intersecting identities really may change the results of what we had there. And so we are looking at that now from a race gender perspective and, and really coming up with some very different results. And so that's exciting for us as well. Same thing goes for ideas about how do we show up as allies in the workplace. And again, I think intersectionality is an important part of that and, and thinking about how we can't make too many assumptions about just because somebody identifies as being a man or as a woman or non-binary, what that must mean, right? That there are other intersecting identities there that shape our lived experience and again, the impact that that has on us. And so continuing to kind of remain intellectually humble and, and, and open to, again, how people may have very different experiences in the workplace that are very different from my own, um, I think helps all of us to advance research, but also to advance, you know, how we're doing things in the workplace as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And Professor, tell me your thoughts on how you think the conversation around gender relations is uh, contributing to, to the conversation around uh, education today in America because it seems to be a changing landscape. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, and I would say it's uh, maybe even a minefield today uh, <laughs> politically. Uh, things are, are quite charged around our country right now um, in, on not just gender, but other other aspects as well around diversity and, and being able to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in ways that are productive. And so I, I do think that is, um, unfortunately, politically, that has, that has been latched onto as, as a divisive um, area. But I think more broadly, as you think about education, um, you know, lots of things, the shifting change of the number of women, for example, from a gender perspective, number of women going, attending, you know, uh, undergraduate institutions has been majority women for a long time now, uh, have, have earned the majority of, of those <clears throat> bachelor degrees, and, and now even graduate degrees and even professional degrees now. And so we're seeing that, you know, we've, we're balancing it in the schoolhouses, the advanced education uh, from a gender perspective really well. What hasn't caught up quite as fast, and there may be a little bit of a lag and delay in this, is, is really thinking about the faculty and the people who are doing the teaching. And so we are still working hard, I think, in a lot of educational institutions like my own to really look at our employment processes and make sure that we are hiring uh, fairly and equitably as we think about across, again, the broad spectrum of diversity, not just around gender, but more broadly around that. And thinking about who who's doing the teaching in the classroom, because that matters too. And it matters in inspiring the next generation of scientists, of leaders in our world, of business managers, because uh, they're looking at their faculty who are the ones, you know, they, they look up to and they need to see themselves somewhere in there too. And so we need to make sure that we're representative just as much as our student body is. And so, yeah, a lot of shifts going on in education. And uh, I think there's a lot of great open conversations that we're able to have about this now. Representation certainly matters, absolutely. And Professor, I'm curious to ask you about how you think workplace diversification and gender relations are interconnected. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. There, there is a lot of this, and, and there's actually, you know, theory and uh, research that goes with this, too, that, you know, to 
to really create a more uh, equitable workplace, a place where people feel like, again, we don't just have diversity as we think about representation within the room or within the, the organization, but people actually feel like they're included and they're valued and they belong, right? And so the more, more research today going into things like belongingness and how that from an engagement perspective in an organization matters. And it matters in terms of the culture because it begins to shift the culture. And so this is where diversity begins to interconnect there um, with the relations in the workplace. We have diverse perspectives as we begin to help shift the culture so people belong. I begin maybe to interact with people who are different from me, that it open my eyes. I get to, if I have an openness to that experience and to be able to learn from them, to they share their experiences, they feel safe, right? We need to have that psychological safety within our workplace that people can show up authentically. Um, If you're a parent, you know, whether you're, you know, again, no matter your gender, whatever, if you're a parent that you can show up and talk about your family and, and the responsibilities that you have and the things that you're working on, right? And so we can be our whole selves when we show up in the workplace. And that goes for a lot of other hidden, you know, again, invisible identities, identities that people have the opportunity in many ways to choose, hopefully, whether or not they're going to divulge those and around sexuality or trans. Um, but uh, whether you're even a veteran, right? The veteran status is another one that's a, a very stigmatizing sometimes in different organizations. And so the more people feel comfortable and that they can develop the trust they have with other people there and they can open and be themselves, again, the better the relations are, the better the performance of the team is. And of course, that, that translates into your whatever your mission or business outcomes are in your organization. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, no, Professor, I have a two-part question for you, and you can take this any direction that you want. I'm curious to ask you, when it comes to gender relations, what do you think it's going to take to really establish a table of inclusion where everyone's perspective and opinions on gender are going to be valued? And as an educator, the second part of the question is, as an educator, do you think you, when you teach your students, is there any consistent theme you hope that they take away from conversations that they have in class with you or, or one-on-one individually? Yeah, you know, those are great questions. Uh, let me try to tackle that first one there about what it's going to take uh, to get there. And you know, I, I guess the the optimism I have around this, and I am an optimist when it comes to this, that uh, that I see I see the ad- attitudes changing, and we've certainly seen that in the research as well. And so, shifting attitudes, right, tend to eventually bleed over into behavioral change, right, and and which leads to action. And and that I think is the the name of the game is we're again increasing increasing our ability to to have and value diverse organizations and leverage that as a competitive advantage you know it's it's a very strategic advantage to have that in organizations today um, we tend to focus so much on technology or the product or this very specific service the the thing that we're selling so to speak in in our organizations but people are our greatest resource. They always have been. Um, I don't know that AI is going to change that anytime soon, I hope. Um, But for the foreseeable future, again, people are going to be that, are going to be that competitive advantage we have. And so I think, again, as we continue to open 
have these conversations with each other and be and, and really get leaders who are going to structure workplaces in a way that, that shows that they value people. Right. And they value where they come from. They value their experience. They value the difference that they bring. And we can all because uh, our, our our society is not getting any less diverse. It's getting more diverse over time. And certainly our organizations reflect that and need to reflect that. And businesses that are taking that on as part of their, again, their strategy are the ones who are going to be most successful out there. So that's the the optimist in me when it comes to that. The uh, the other question I think is another great one. I, I love that question um, about, you know, kind of the common theme. What do I, across my courses, across the work that I do that I want my students to take away? And and really, I, I think one of the things that I always emphasize is being a great consumer of information. Because one of the things we all do, and whether you're in academe, education, you're out in the business world, is we're bombarded with all sorts of information and some of it's more valuable than others but learning to be a good consumer of information of, of be, being discerning of looking at the data looking at the evidence looking at the argument that some it's it's written by somebody with a point of view uh, from their own experience it, it's written from a research perspective maybe or a disciplinary perspective but it always has a point of view or a perspective and they have an intent um, with what they are doing with that data with that argument with that evidence and under and in, you know for being more transparent about it and people are being you know very you know uh, open about who they are and what their bias or perspective is on things I think that's helpful but that's not always the case today uh, we don't always get that and so I think learning to be good good critical consumers of, of information um, and in today's day and age I, I just don't think you can replace that especially in a leadership role yeah, absolutely. And Professor, uh, my final question for you this morning has to do with your own individual and personal legacy and how you want that to be defined. I think this is always a, you know, I think from a, a humility perspective, this is always a hard question. Um, I don't know that we often think about ourselves in terms of a legacy or that, but I, I do feel like that everything that I do um, is something that where I'm trying to make a difference, make the make my organization better, make my team better, my family, my society better, um, and leave that right, leave it in a better place than it was when I when I came into it. And and being, I think, I think good, you know, in the same way we can be good consumers of evidence, we can good be good citizens in our in our society. We can be good citizens in our workplaces and what that looks like and leaving that behind as helping people to be better at doing that. And I think that, you know, that's my, my, I guess my noble goal. <laughs> if you think about my, my life mission purpose is really to, to make a difference and, and helping people to be better. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Professor, tell me if people want to uh, get connected with you, you personally or some of the books that you've written, how uh, is the best way they can do that? Yeah, my um, my website uh, with my co-author uh, Brad Johnson is Workplace Allies. So Workplace Allies, all one all one word dot com, and you can see again what we're up to, the latest things we've been up to, events we're doing, uh, things we're writing about, thinking about, and yeah, you can definitely find more information about our books, uh, Athena Rising, which focuses on how to be better mentors and thinking about it from a cross-gender perspective, and then certainly good guys from a engaging each other as allies in the workplace. 
Fantastic. Well, Professor, I want to thank you for spending some time with me to uh, dive into the subject of gender relations on this front and your work in this space and time on my behalf is most appreciated and I want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you including me and have a happy Friday.